We're going to go ahead and get started here. Glad that you're with us. My name's Steve. I'm one of the elders here at church, and we're, we're glad you're here because this is like the Forgotten Sunday. Like, apparently in the past few years, it's become a hip for, like, churches to be like, look, this is the weekend we give our people a break. So we're going to just not have services today, but, you know, we just don't want to give Dylan a break, apparently. Um... And because of that, you know, we're right before the new year. It's like, okay, we're, we, don't, we just ended a series from Christmas, and we're getting ready to start a new one next week. So it's like there's this in-between period. Like, you know, what then do we do with all this stuff? And that's what I'm going to present to you today. So if you're visiting with us, welcome. This is abnormal, but the people who are not visiting with us know that anytime I get up here, it is abnormal. However, every week what we attempt to do is we attempt to open up uh, the Bible and just to see what God has to say through the word to us. And that's because we as a community are very passionate about the Bible. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 is the verse that we read at the beginning of the service. And it's one of these verses that, that just has a power to it because it describes what God's word is. And I love that it's described as sharper than any double-edged sword. I don't know what your feeling is about weaponry. Some of you, you know, I know there are some of you that have your conceal and carry. I don't think we do, we've not had the conversation of whether that's a thing here. I don't think you can conceal and carry in here because we rent this from the daycare. Um, but maybe you're one of those that just is disagreeable with weapons. Maybe you, you know, you leave your sword in the closet. But you understand is that as the word of God is described in one way, it's a, it's a weapon but it's not just a weapon of destruction because it also says that it divides soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. That's not even just, um, you know, we're watching Lord of the Rings now over Christmas because it's a good thing to binge right now. And it's not just going to war against orcs, but there's a surgical aspect to this, right? It's this idea that the word of God can be used to, uh, to, to basically repair somebody's health and body. And we, we talk in this church a lot, and many churches, we talk about the Bible. But today what I really wanted to talk about is the Bible in this church and the way that we view and use it. And I think this is an important topic because of where we're at. Because there's lots of churches across America today where people are opening up the Bible, they're reading for it, and you'll hear lots of amens. But being in the midst of the city in a more cosmopolitan, metropolitan type of environment... What happens, though, is that churches that exist usually, and this is my estimation from being here for 13 years and growing up in the city, so this isn't just, I'm going to show this slide here, and I, I, I was like, is this a jerk statement, or is this my interpretation of reality? And I really feel convicted that this is accurate, because I think there's two ways that churches in the city view the Bible. And one way they view it is minimalist, uh, from a minimalist perspective. The idea that, yeah, the Bible is this book that brings us all together, but really, it's just a bunch of, like, you know, it, it's, it's poetry, it's just story, none of it really happened, but it's supposed to be in some way inspirational, I call that biblical minimalism, is that, you know, this book exists, we should keep publishing it, but really its power to speak to us it, it, it really is not that robust. But we like the Bible, so we'll keep it around. I really have found in the city, too, is that there's a reactionary point with churches, and some of them became biblical legalists. And that's because when you live in the midst of city, and let's be honest, any of the dark, dreary, sinful stuff that you want to find is available at the city much more than anywhere else. And usually it's because it's just on display in front of all of us. Because it exists that way, some of us become legalists. 
It's an us versus them mentality. It's like, look, this is what the, you know, we don't drink or chew or go with girls who do, and that is the existence that we hunker down on, and those pagans out there should come into our fellowship and live holy lives like we do. Okay, so this has always been the problem, and, uh, you know, I was there at the beginning for Echo, and what we've always tried to do is say, where's the balance within that? So that we have, we don't minimize the word of God, that we find it vibrant and real, but at the same time, we don't use it to bludgeon people to death, right? For a, for a spiritual death. We don't want to use that as a weapon. It's both weapon and surgical instrument, and what does that look like for us? So uh, today, uh, we're not going to actually open the Bible. We're going to talk about the Bible. So again, I appreciate this journey, but I want us to be able to say, because again, every year that we do this, and we have, you know, you know new ministry staff, and we have different changing of the guard, sometimes we assume that we are all on the same page. So I'm going to try to work through this, and I guarantee it by the end of this, somebody will be like, I'm not sure if that's like a biblical thought. I'm just saying, buckle up and stick with me. Um, actually, the difficult thing is when I knew I wanted to talk about this, I was like, oh, I'll go to my notes. And I've taught an entire seminary course to master's students on this topic, and it was just the intro class. So I'm like, I have 40 hours of material. So how do I take all that down into like less than half an hour? And the reality is I'm going to break some eggs making this omelet, right? So I'm, ex- I'm asking you, extend me a little grace because I'm trying to get this done in a short time to you know, make sure. And then, so if you have a problem with it, do me a favor. You can grab me afterwards, or even not. I'm, I'm on the social medias. You can find me. Like, email me. We'll have a chat. We'll, we'll have a coffee just to, to talk about this. So what I want to start off with is this primary question that many of us really struggle with, is what the Bible is, and then what the Bible isn't. Because we don't usually start at that base level. We just hop right into the stories of Jesus and things in the Old Testament. We start talking about all these things. But, but I want to show you two things that I believe the Bible is. And the first thing, and, and I say I believe, but that we believe as a church is the Bible is revelatory. And you can see within there, you know, that biblical concept of revelation. But, but try to even break that down a little bit within your mind. Is that at, at the base there is the word reveal. And what is to reveal? You know, it's like, you know, you had your, your Christmas presents wrapped and we reveal it by opening up to be able to see what hides inside. And what God is trying to do for us is to constantly reveal who he is to us. So God, we believe, exists. God created all things. But God doesn't want to live separate from us and therefore he is in the constant process of revealing himself. The way that God reveals himself to everybody who has ever lived on the face of this earth is through what we would call general revelation, okay? And that is the idea that we live in a world that he made, and it is impossible to look around and not to have your mind wander to think, who did this? How did this happen? And that is spoken of in uh, Romans chapter 1, because Paul says, look, even if you're a pagan, it's tough to walk through the world and see the, the, even the smallest aspects of life or the most grandiose things in the world and not have a trail of thought that thinks, how did this get there? 
And again, it's not like it's new, this idea that we've tried to explain away through you know, different scientific means exactly how everything happens. Science is not the adversary of general revelation, but when we allow it to be the answer for it, when we're just saying, look, this was all completely chaotic, there's nothing behind this, then we find ourselves in a position to where anything in this earth could be anything that anybody describes and wants it to be. What we are looking for... And sorry with my ear thingy today. This is all me, dude. Dylan's going to protect it as I'm an idiot. I didn't do a good. Give me one second. Thank you. But that in creating the world, God gave us the opportunity to see who he is. Now, you can find out general things that, about creation, but this is the power of the Bible. What the Bible is is special revelation. What the Bible is, God revealing who he is in word form. So that's what we believe when we open the Bible. We believe that it's something more uh, important than just the collection of words from authors that lived thousands of years ago. We believe that it's God speaking. It's God speaking to humanity. Because we believe, second thing I want to say that the Bible is, is the Bible is inspired. So what we're saying is, is that when we open up this book, this isn't just a collection of words that some randos put together and threw together under a subject heading. What we believe is that there's something dynamic about this that is inexplicable to human minds. This idea that God worked through humans to write down words that expresses how he sees the world. And again, that's a pretty big jump, right? Like, okay, I understand if it's a sacred text. There's sacred pieces of literature all over the place. You can, you can read the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, or, or the Epic of Gilgamesh. You can find these sacred texts, but what we believe is that it stands differently because this is God actually speaking to humans through the word. Okay, and there's a reason, there are reasons why we think it's inspired. I, I, I've listed four of them right here, and the first one is the idea is because the Bible itself claims it is in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16. It says that all of God, uh, all of the Bible, it's God-breathed, it's used for teaching, correcting, rebuking. The Bible itself says this is the word of God. Now, I always include this at the beginning because if we were to stop there, then I would understand why you would think this is a little hokey. Like, why is, why is the Bible God's word? Because it says it's God's word. Okay, now I'm going to say that that is not the final reason behind it, but that's a pretty compelling argument because it makes a bold claim, right? Because what it is saying is it's calling it shot and saying, look, these words are not just random collections of sentences and stories, but this is God speaking. Okay, that's something to, 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 to really hone in on, but we don't want to rest the case there. Another thing that I think is important is the historical accuracy of the Bible. And this is something that is constantly discussed, and we're not going to go deep into the woods about this, but I have so many just little different things that for years... People who are skeptics say, well, this can't exist because we, the Bible talks about these people living in this certain place and we have no proof of them. And lo and behold, within a few years, archaeologists find entire societies that affirm the existence of people in the Bible. And there's the existence of historical figures that are in the Bible that can't be construed. There's, there's, there are very few people that will take the, state to say, to take the position to state that the Bible does not have historical accuracy. What they will refute are the dynamic divine claims within it. So again, you're like, okay, well, that just makes it an actual historic book. If you look back into histories of the same time, the Bible is far above any of those other things because it uses specificity. If you're trying to tell a good story that you've made up, 
Don't be specific, because that's how they'll find you out. The Bible leans in on specificity, and because of that, we can look back and see archaeologically there are things that exist here. I'm going to say the other thing is the thread that has continued for the thousands of years since the Bible has existed. Not only did these people come together and say, this is the divine word of God, but they protected it very well. Friends, there are always translation errors that have taken place within the Bible. And we're going to get to this in a second, but I think it's important to note, because somebody's like, no, it is the exact divine word of God. Back in the 17th century, people were translating the Bible from original texts into English, and they created the King James Bible. And it became a thing, and it still exists today, that people think that God's divine word is the King James Bible in English, even though Jesus didn't speak English nor did any of the people who wrote the book spoke English, but they're like, no, this is the King James Bible. This is what God said. Man, there are, there are errors in the King James Bible, friends. Again, I, I've studied this, and this might shake your faith, but the interesting thing is, though, for thousands of years, people still tried to protect the word of God. There's a thread running through history, and no other document, no other document has been sustained like the Bible. And that, again, does that prove everything? No, but I think it's the accumulation of this. And I'm going to drop this last one in here because there's a reality. There is personal experience, and that drives into it. So again, you maybe have been in a dark place and have read the word of God, and it has changed and transformed you. Maybe you were in a place where you're just like, I need you to speak to me, Lord, and you opened up a word, and you read something in the Bible, and you're like, holy crap, that is God speaking directly to me. Now, that's not how we want to function every belief in life, right? Like, why is this true? Because I believe that it's true. But friends, it should factor in there at least in some aspect. All of these things weave together this idea that the Bible is important. Now, however, stick with me, it still is a matter of faith. Because what I'll see scholars sometimes trying to do to prove this is they're like, look, everything in the Bible is absolutely perfect, and there is no faith right here. You just need to believe, and if you don't believe, you're an idiot. Friends, I understand skepticism on many different levels, and often it has little to do with the text itself, but we who believe should understand that, yeah, there's a component of faith, but there's a lot that plays into this idea that God's word, it's his revelation to us, and it's inspired. Now, here's the deal. In order to protect this, specifically in the 20th century, late 19th century, 20th century, there were attacks in the Bible. And basically it started as humans began to become more intelligent, we became more diverse, we had a broader access to material, and people started to doubt whether or not God's word was really God's word, whether or not the Bible was God speaking. So when those doubts came into it and scholars started to attack it, people basically locked everything down. You can do your Wikipedia search on fundamentalism. What is fundamentalism? It was trying to bring it to us. This is exactly what it means to be a believer. And they made you say, look, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to buy into everything we spin out hook, line, and sinker. But here's what we've seen at the end of the 20th century and the beginning of right now, is some of the things that they tried to say had holes in them, and people were leaning into positions to try to make the Bible something that it isn't, and they really stopped believing what the Bible was. Okay? I know that might be a little... What do I want to say? That, that might be a little loaded, but I, I want to describe this because I want to put some words up here, and maybe at the surface you're going to recoil, but let's go. What is the Bible isn't? And again, I mentioned this, but the first thing the Bible isn't is inerrant. Okay, what does inerrant mean? Without error. And this is something that then skeptics of the Bible who, you know, who, who are trying to attack fundamentalists and say, look, you say that the Bible is inerrant, but we know that there's errors. 
We know that there's errors. Maybe you have a blue Bible in front of you right now. Um, you know, if you want to, turn to Mark chapter 16 or turn to John chapter 8. Those are in the New Testament. But it's very interesting as I think even in the blue Bible, there's a note in your Bible that says, by the way, even though we put the beginning of John chapter 8 in the Bible, not every manuscript from the times of, you know, the century after Jesus lived, not every one of them had the beginning of John chapter 8. It's the same thing with Mark chapter 16 at the very end. And by the way, the Mark chapter 16 thing gets really cool but crazy because it's like Jesus said, hey, my followers will be able to do lots of miraculous things, like get bit by snakes and not die. And this is why down in the hollers of Kentucky, and I've seen where they do it, they breed rattlers and snakes so that they can handle them in worship service and say, look, this is what God said we would do in Mark chapter 16. And then if they get bit, they do not seek medical attention. And some of those people die and they say, well, if they die, they didn't have enough faith. It's just jacked up stuff that Christians do. Friends, here's the issue within some of this. When we say inerrant, meaning without error, is that, look, there are errors that have happened along the way. The first thing you need to understand is that language is an error. Okay? Language is limiting. Why? Because language limits the ways that we can express ourselves. Haven't you ever been in this point where you're like, okay, well, tell me what's wrong with you. I, 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 you can't find the words. And sometimes it's because the words that you need to use to express yourself do not accurately exist. Maybe you're familiar with the original languages. In the Koine Greek, there are four Greek words for the word love. And you and I throw around love like it's a used paper towel, right? Like, man, I, I, I love my wife, but I love guacamole, right? Like, and there is a good love right there, but they are not equal in expression, right? So then when you have languages being imperfect, and language itself has error, and when you're trying to take that across the things, error becomes evident. So what's funny is that I studied under a theologian who wrote entire chapters on why inerrancy is this thing, and I just don't buy it. The better word and the word we usually use, something that the Bible is, it's infallible. Infallible. And the essence is, is that if you read the Bible, even in the translations, and you try to live your life by the words that God expressed right there, at the very least, you would be incapable of failing, of falling. The word's infallible. But to say inerrant really puts us in a box to try to say, this is what the Bible is. Friends, let's not make that argument, and that's something that we can say here. And by the way, saying that the Bible is an inerrant in no way lessens the idea that it is God speaking. Does this make sense? Is this charting with you? And I know this is the reason why I say this is this might be semantical, but friends, when we put our arguments, when we waste so much on semantics, it can come back to bite us. And I've seen so many arguments about inerrancy, and I'm like, it's just a dumb argument. Can I throw the one that maybe you've grappled with? that is even, I believe, worse than this, is the idea that the Bible is literal. And again, this is a grenade that I'm pulling and I'm holding right here, but I want to just help you to grapple with this idea. Because then, when we're talking about how the Bible is, so many times people were like, well, do you believe the Bible is literal? I didn't include the quote, but somebody, in trying to pin George W. Bush back in his presidency... (laughs) was like, hey, do you believe the Bible's literal? He goes, well, I, I kind of, like, do, well, you know, there's a lot of good stuff in there, and uh, it's all about Jesus. Like, that was his answer, almost a verbatim quote. Because when we talk about it being literal, again, what we're trying to do is create a box and just saying, are you in the box? Are you outside of the box? If you're outside of this box, if you don't believe it's literal, then you're a pagan and you need Jesus because you're in danger of the fire of hell. 
But if you believe it's literal, then you're cool and kosher. Everything's great. But friends, even the Bible never claims that for itself. Okay? If the Bible was literal, do you realize that Satan says a lot of stuff in the Bible? Like in Genesis, right in the garden, Satan says, by the way, God doesn't know what he's talking about. If you eat this fruit, you'll become smarter than him, and then you'll rule. If I subscribe to the idea that the Bible's literal, then whatever Satan says would need to be literal as well. You see what I mean? What you're trying to do in this argument is trying to check your brain at the door, and unfortunately, our faith doesn't afford that, that opportunity. I would love not to have to think about these things, but sometimes we do. So this is the thing that when we're talking about the Bible as a church, we allow some leeway in here. Because the reality is, is that we believe that it's inspired, we believe it's the word of God, but sometimes there are things in the Bible that are stated that we just do not know. The first thing that happens here, especially locally when we talk about this, is that do you believe the world was created in six literal days? I've had people who have had, wanted to have entire conversations about that, and friends, no matter how hungry I am, I don't bite Because I don't know. You're like, no, no, no. The Bible says God created this in a day. And I'm like, okay. But there are, God talks a lot about, you know, the Bible talks a lot about days. I don't know if that was a 24-hour period. It doesn't lessen the idea that I don't think that God could do that, right? Like, I'm not saying God is not powerful enough to create all of this in six days. I would lean into the opposite. I would be like, no, God could have created everything in six milliseconds. He didn't even have to wait for the end of the day. It's not about a limitation of God's power. It's about us trying to browbeat people into believing what we want it to be for them. Now, then there's this aspect, and this is the reason why they exist in this way, is the idea of you know, infallibility, inerrancy. All these things that came up were from people who didn't believe in the Bible anymore. And the biggest critique was of people who didn't believe in the miracles of the Bible. Because the miracles in the Bible are the toughest things for us to explain, right? Because it doesn't work within our minds. So somebody is like, well, was Jonah really in the belly of the huge fish? And again, I don't know if he was or he wasn't. But if I believe in a God who created everything within just speaking things, I think my faith can then be robust enough to say that God could have allowed a human being to live in the belly of a fish and not be dissolved by his stomach acids, Right? It's just these things that we try to put ourselves into questions about. But look, we as a church are not going to back you into this. Like, so again, if you were a, hey, you know, the whale thing was a story that never happened, okay then. But what we would want you to do is to explore why do you take that position? Because you find it implausible? Because you think that it couldn't happen? Friends, we're talking about miracles right here, something that doesn't make sense to the mind. Will you stick with me as I go to this next thing? Because I think this all comes down to the ways in which we approach the Bible. I think there's multiple ways in which people approach the Bible. And I've seen different churches do this. The first thing that they do is they approach it from a rational perspective. By using your mind. And again, this is something that I said earlier, and I think this is something that's key for you and I to understand. Is God has given us minds to question. So that if you have what you would consider doubts, if you're reading the Bible and you're like, how does that work out? God said, he permits this idea that you are in a safe space to be able to use your brain to investigate who he is and what he's about. Okay, rational is good because it forces us then to think about the entirety of who we are, who, what is this world about, and what is our goal. Those are good things. But we also must beware because when we try to only approach the Bible from a rational mind, we're going to find the holes, correct? This is why we struggle with the miracles in the Bible. Why do we struggle with the miracles? Because you're like, look, I have never seen a, 
a, a sea part and people walk through on dry ground. That seems impossible to me. Okay, well, there's a lot about faith that is impossible. So it's okay that we bring a rational perspective to the table, but we have to be aware that there are pitfalls within there. I think there's also something that we tend to minimize today, and some people overemphasize it, but it just depends where you're at, is the mystical. What I would just say is a, a more heartfelt approach to the word. Because God created humans as emotional beings, Right? And sometimes we need to be able to open up the word of God and just read it from a perspective of either absolute joy or absolute grief. Sometimes you're at the point where you're like, I just need to celebrate and praise the Lord for what he is doing, and you're bringing that to the table. Sometimes you are in a dire place and you need the word just to speak to you. Okay, This mystical perspective can be a good thing, especially if you're the rational person who doesn't want to allow to anything uh, you know, anything that is unbelievable, sometimes we just need to release and allow ourselves to live in this idea of just passion in the heart. Again, where's the problem? When we do that solely, when we just live mystically, because then we'll start reading the Bible and we're like, you know what? And I've been in, maybe some of you have been in church a long time, you've been in a Bible study. You're like, you know what? I was randomly reading this verse and this is exactly what I feel that it means. You know, I'm like, God bless you. That's a wonderful thing. But it has nothing to do with what you want it to be about, right? Sometimes our heart can be deceptive as well because we want things that we want more so than how things actually appear. It's a perspective. It's one that exists. As does the hierarchical perspective. And maybe of all of these, when we're talking about the strength of Scripture, maybe this is the part that makes you have to break into hives. Because... A lot of the baggage that people bring into the church is the idea that there's some level of authority. You know, we are all in our John, parentheses, Cougar, Mellencamp stage where we fight authority and authority always wins and ergo we are angry about that. And we just want to be free, right? Free to live however we want. But what we have to see is that within the scripture there is this idea of hierarchy, of strength, this idea that we need to look at it. The issue is then how you live this. Maybe you're from a Roman Catholic background, because I just assume that because we're in Cincinnati and we've got to have some Catholic people who did CCD in our midst. And maybe you're new to a non-Catholic church and you're just going through this type of experience trying to figure out what it means for the Bible. Understand that, you know, you're like, why are there so many Bibles here and I was growing up Catholic. I never saw a Bible. That's because within Catholic hierarchy, the church actually exists over the Bible. That within Catholic dogma, and by the way, I studied years at a Jesuit university, so I had all these just different nuances of arguments, but the teachings of the church were actually more important than what the Bible said. So if you were a good Catholic, you only needed to have the one huge Bible where you put in marriages and births and leave it on the shelf because it didn't really matter what the Bible said as much as then what the church said because the church stood over the word of God. Now maybe some of you are not Catholic, you're Protestants, and that's like, that's why we're awesome because we're not the Catholics. But I'm going to tell you is what happened in the 20th century is that the script was flipped and the Protestants did it just about as bad. And by the way, I always explain it in this way. It's usually explained within the song, the B-I-B-L-E. Do you remember that song? Maybe some of the B-I-B-L-E. That's the word for me. By the way, at the end of this, you shout out Bible, and that's why it was a popular kid's song. But there's a phrase in this little kid's song that we should teach in Protestant Sunday school, which was, I stand alone on the word of God. Like, you remember that phrase? Think about the visual of then what that is. So where is the Bible in this Protestant view? 
Actually, the Bible is, I stand on it. The Bible is under me. Like, I am in charge of the Bible, and it is what I say it is. And friends, this is also a very poor position to take, right? And this is why I've seen a lot of things. I've been in too many of Bible study where I've had people try to tell me, well, this is exactly what the Bible means, and you need to take my word for it because I can interpret this however I want to see fit. You don't get that opportunity. It's not like we just get a, you know, open up the pop tab on this thing and just say, all right, now, whatever it is, I drink it up. No, that's not the perspective that we're allowed to take. What we're trying to see is that there is hierarchy, there is strength within the scripture, but we must beware how that is practiced. So then we get to this point with all these different perspectives, then what is the way that we at Echo view it? How do we do it? Do we just chuck all these to the side? And I would say, no, what we do is we keep these in place, but we add an umbrella over all of that, which is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I've tried to typify this as soul, because if we're trying to think of the way that Jesus is, that we have to have love for the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that this is the, the, what is it, the, the, the collection of everything that makes our view of the Bible just healthy. Because when the Spirit's over this, what is the Spirit? It is another revelatory aspect of God. How does the Spirit speak? We have to test that, Right? So what this does is it throws humility into the way that we read the Bible in. And this is the thing about this whole thing, because again, I've probably said something that pissed you off at some point here, and I'm not trying to do that, but trying to say is like, look, then we, as a church, need to come together in community, and we try to say, we love the Bible, it's revealing God's word, it's inspired, but how do we look at that? We need to see all the different aspects of what it is. And it's important. We bring our mind to the table. And that's why I've had discussions. You know, Seth's been with the church now, our lead minister, for six months. And he's like, man, you know, preaching in this venue is tough because we have a lot of sharp people right here. Well, that's just because we've always leaned that way because most people in the city, they tend to doubt the word of God just based upon, okay, is this stuff realistic? Could these miracles exist? So what we want to do is to bring their mind to it. But we also want to say, look, some of this is heartfelt. It's mystical. It's mysterious. Right? There's things, I'm a theologian, right? I have my doctorate in theology. There are things I still have no flippin' idea why they're in the Bible. And I'm not going to resolve those between now and depth and death. But that's fine because I want to live in the mystery of what it is. Yeah, God's revealing himself, but God doesn't say, hey, Steve, you get to find out everything I am. Bring some spirit mysticism to the table and have the humility to say, we just don't know. And this is one of the things then, is that what we try to do and explain, one more time, Dylan, sorry. What we try to do and explain as a church is this, is that we do believe that there's a hierarchy there. But when we talk about this hierarchy, it's a soft hierarchy. So this church has elders. We have two. We're going to add a third one here at the beginning of the year next year. And what our responsibility for this church is to make sure that we are in a theological place that is healthy. Okay? And is to work with our staff then who communicate that and teach it to make sure that we are staying together. By the way, Matthew chapter 16 with Roman Catholics sometimes used to talk about the Pope. You know, when Peter makes his great claim, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds and says, good job, Rocky. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the Catholics will say Peter was the first Pope. We actually take that the step further because after this, What Jesus says is, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Get this binding, tying up, loosing, unleashing, letting go. 
And we believe that is Jesus permitting the church the opportunity to be able to say, hey, this is how we see the world. So you're like, holy crap, that gives churches a lot of power, right? But the verse that keeps me up at night is James 3.1. Because James 3.1 says, hey, by the way, if you're going to lead the church, <laughs> then their salvation is on your shoulders, so you better not jack it up, right? And that's why I take this incredibly seriously. I don't do this with anything but humility because I understand that what we communicate has eternal consequences. That's why the spirit is so important within this. It's the spirit is supposed to be this level of humility that we bring to it. So we try to bring all this together and do it well, bring to the church. So in the past 13 years of being a, a, a pastor, elder here, it's always the thing, hey, what does Echo Church believe about blank? And my wife is just like, what are you doing? Like, why are you asking me that? And people are like, well, because I want to know. No, 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 no. Are you just trying to do it so that you can figure out how we're like pagans and then you can judge us for it? Or are you just trying to also say that we're, you know, we need to be more legalistic to hold people out or that we hold to this more tightly? I just always want to get to the root. Like, why are you asking that? Because this is what we're trying to do as a community of believers is to exist and journey together with the Bible. So three statements. Thanks for sticking with me with this, and I hope it's helpful, but I was just like, what's the best way for me to do this? Let me summarize this about our church in three statements and the way we see the Bible. And by the way, if you're visiting with us today and you're like, okay, you know, what does this say about everything? I think these are things that good, healthy churches should see. So I'm not saying that we as a church embody all this, but man, we're, we're, we're flipping trying. We're trying to be this. I'll tell you the first thing is we try to celebrate the robust nature of the Bible. And the reason I just say that is, look, we love God's word around here. And friends, if you come to one of our small groups, you'll see some geeks who, like, you're like, they love it way more than I ever could, right? And that can be intimidating. But we don't want that being an intimidation. We just want to have this passion is that we believe in this stuff. We believe that the Bible reveals the coming of God's son to earth, that he lived life in perfection, that he actually died death, and in his resurrection gave us the hope and glory that none no other perspective in the world has. Like, that's dynamic to us. And why do we know this? We know this because of our faith in God's word in the Bible. So we celebrate the Bible. So I wanted to make sure to say this because I wanted afterwards, you're like, well, but they don't even think it's literal. Friends, if you feel that way or not, that's fine. We just want you to know we're not letting off the gas right here. We are very big Bible people. But this is the key, I think, that has been the hallmark of who we've been as a congregation for the last 13 years, is that we will create environments for exploring Christianity. And that's what's funny, because most churches are like, look, we exist to reach lost people for Jesus Christ. And the more that I'm already around, I find fewer just lost people and more confused people, because maybe they were raised in a background where they had no faith and they're coming to Jesus. Maybe they were raised in a fundamentalist kind of hateful background where they're trying to say there's no way that Christianity can look at this and be healthy. Friends, what we're trying to do is create space for people to find Jesus where they're at. So you're like, well, why doesn't Seth or Chris or Kelly, why don't they ever preach a sermon about this? Because friends, it's not just about what happens in a small time slot on Sunday morning. It's how we're living faith. We want people to be able to engage with that. And you know what I love about this community? We have a community that is allowed to do that. And as such, because of where this is, we have people in this church that sometimes don't even buy into some of the stuff. They're like, look, I get the sense that Echo believes this. I don't believe it. 
So then what we do is we schedule like a, you know, a panel of elders together. We make them put on a red robe. You know, we like bring a gavel out and we're like, this is how this will work. It's like, first you will drink the truth serum. And Some of you in this room, I've had conversations about, you're like, look, I don't buy into that. And I'm like, okay, just do me a favor. Don't burn the place down, right? Because we are all called to live at peace with each other. You don't have to buy hook, line, and the sinker of who we are trying to be, but do us a favor. Let's live in peace, right? So if you have one of those problems, grab an elder, have this conversation. We'll work it there. We want you to be here because we want you to have a chance to explore Christianity. And the reason that was key for me is I was in churches the longest time where we were like, look, if you don't make a decision now, you know, it's like we were used car salesmen for Jesus. It's like if you don't make this decision now and articulate that Jesus is the Christ and let us baptize you, then you should go find someplace else to be. I just can't live in that existence, friends. For some of you, you're on journey right now. For some of you, your mind is blown by some of the stuff that we've said and you're like, I don't know if I can handle that. You know what I would say? If you're still seeking Jesus, this is a place you can find that. It's a safe place for you to do that. Does that make sense? Let me tell you the third thing, and this is what I've really been grappling at through the conversations, is that we cultivate disciples, followers of Jesus, who balance the head and the heart. So this is where Steve has screwed up in this church for the longest time, is that I came into this community, you know, moved my pregnant wife here, and a lot of you joined on to this thing, and one of the things we saw is like, look, there is just this skepticism about the Bible so that we need to show people, look, this, this isn't just like, you know, hey, wish upon a rainbow. It's the same thing as Jesus, right? You know, that the Bible and unicorns are not compatible. Like, we wanted to say, look, there's something robust here. There's original languages. There's archaeological proof. There's all these things that paint this idea that the Bible is speaking truth, so don't just dismiss it, right? Like, that was my perspective, but this is what happens sometimes in that process, is that you focus so much on the intellect and the head and the rational that you forget this idea of the mystical in the heart. That you're like, oh, by the way, this is transformative to me. When somebody I love passes away and I'm struck by grief, that's where the spirit could speak through the word to come down and tell me something dynamic. And if I'm just reading the Bible in this examination of original languages and archaeological truths, then I'm missing the point too. So what we want to say is like, look, let's get deeper into the word of God and see what it says. But at the same time, let's not abandon this idea that it's transformative to me. Because sometimes it's the most simple verses in the Bible that are so meaningful. So I hope that it introduces who we are as a church. And the personal challenge for you, I think, is this. We're at the beginning of a new year. And I hope this conversation in the Bible just says, oh, maybe I just haven't read my Bible enough. And maybe you're already like, okay, I'm going to get back home this afternoon, do my Google of best Bible, reading pla- you know, best Bible reading plan through the year that takes you through you know, every verse and such. And maybe you're, if you're that type A person, hey, just go have a great time, all right? Live that up. However, if that's the type of person you always are, you're like, it's January 1. Now I start reading Genesis through Leviticus. And if that is your plan, then maybe you just need to stop and Get to the point where, you know, I'm going to pull my Bible out. I'm going to read a psalm every day. I'm just going to chew on this thing for, you know, just for a while. See what God's saying. Maybe at the same time, maybe you're the person who is just like, look, I'm, I just like to read a lot of the poetry and the psalms and maybe some of the stories of Jesus. I don't want to read about Philistines and have to deal with that. I'm just going to ignore it. Well, maybe that's what God is calling you to do is to go the opposite way. But I hope the thing that we strive to see is that, friends, God loved us enough not just to send his son, but to deliver his word to us. 
that's an amazing thing. And the idea that we live in a space where we can read that word in absolute freedom is a blessing that many in this world are not afforded. So at the very least, maybe this year, you know, in my Twitter feed, in my morning reads of newspapers, maybe I just need to stop and look at what God is saying through his word. Just even just a little. So I have this idea that, look, he's there, man, but he loves me. And he's trying to tell me something today. So let's all just be open to the word of God this next year, all right? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the attentiveness of a bunch of people who listen to a quasi-lecture on the Bible. But I'm hoping, Father, that we just see how dynamic your word is. It's tough living in a world of such technological advances and to think that I'm still reading literature that is thousands of years old, looking at that for guidance. But Father, the reason that we lean in on this is that we believe that you exist and that we believe that for centuries you spoke into your servants words that we can still live and breathe and digest today. Thank you for your word. Where we've, been, where we've minimalized it or where we've become legalists, we ask your forgiveness and just ask in the future that we might embrace it, to see the soul behind it, to trust your spirit, to listen to your word. In Christ's name, amen.